When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Apologies for the delay, but this is my episode with Stefan No, now of the Sporting News. I'm super excited about that. And we focus primarily on the Chicago Bulls and their success this year. The delay makes it so to play this places and timing. We we knew some of the injuries, but we didn't know the severity. But I don't think that really affects the analysis much. I think that what Stefan provides in terms of how the Bulls have been successful, that all of that really fits together super well. And we also talk about his really fun hidden gem series where he's talking about some of the less appreciated players in the NBA and really really fun conversation runs a little bit under an hour i hope you enjoy it thank you so much for coming on yeah thanks for having me danny I'd been wanting to do a Bulls podcast for a while and realized that you'd be a great person to talk to. There are, of course, a lot of people who know this team well, but I think you do really good work on the substantive side and also just kind of thinking about this team in the big picture. And I think the place to start for me is I thought I I was much more skeptical of what this team could be, though the focus of that was more as a playoff team than as a regular season team. But they really have exceeded expectations on both ends of the floor. I mean, at this point, especially on offense, as we're recording this, they're fourth. What do you think has... What has exceeded your expectations, and what do you think is driving this season for them? Well, I mean, I I was pretty high on the Bulls to start the year. I had them at I think forty seven wins, but I mean they're on pace for more than that. They've even like the biggest optimists, um, they've done better than what those people expect. So I think that um, I mean a lot of it has just been driven by Demar being insane, right? And like nobody could have predicted that he's. I think he's pretty solidly been like a top 10 player probably even you could say like top six i think he's been phenomenal yeah he's dropped off a little bit recently although he just had an incredible game against the Cavs last night where he, <laughs> every single time he saw laurie markin and i think he was trying to score <laughs> and that worked pretty well for him um yeah but i think that uh there was bound to be like a little bit of regression for him and that's started to happen um but even even with that baked in regression uh they're they've just gotten such great performances from uh, I mean they have like 16 new players on this team so uh, all of their new additions I think those guys playing in different scenarios than they had been used previously that's just unlocked uh, the the best part of their games and that's been something that has been um, kind of a thing for a lot of these Billy Donovan coach teams I think he he, he does a great job of empowering his players and using them in very creative ways um, so a lot of the credit has to go to Donovan. I agree. And I had been skeptical. Matt Moore and I had this discussion before the season started about whether he could cobble together a credible defense. And there are two things that I think went into play there. One, like they've been they've been more versatile, interestingly, than I expected, and they've been able to do it. But the bigger part, there are a, di- a bunch of different parallels that that are worth worth thinking about here one of them that i've made before is the the russell westbrook thunder teams when he won the mvp which is when you can rely on two or potentially three players to do your heavy lifting offensively you can get away assuming they can do the things offensively that you need you can get away with more defensive oriented players at the other spots and i think that general structure has worked very well for chicago this season I think you're absolutely right there. And yeah, you bring it back to Oklahoma City. Uh, Donovan had so many one-way players, just uh, defensive stalwarts on those teams, like um, Andre Roberson is the big one, you know, and uh, later on, Lou Dort, he's he's a little bit better offensively. But just uh, these lockdown defender guys, I think that um, there's been some talk about how 
Um, DeMar has gotten better on defense. Uh, maybe that's true to a little, a little bit, but I think he's still pretty uh, solidly below average on that end. I and agree. The, yeah, the way the Bulls have gotten around that is, you know, they have Javante Green starting most of the year at four, which that's another example of what I was talking about with Billy Donovan using these guys very creatively. I mean, Javante Green is like 6'4". He's been shooting guard small forward most of his career. So to move him up in that position, um, I think that was, um, you know, definitely a very good move from Donovan. And then uh, obviously, you know, Ball and Caruso have been the other big driving forces behind this defense. And they've also gotten really good uh, unexpected on-ball defense from Io DeSunmo, which, again, nobody saw that coming. And um, I think that's another testament to Donovan where he he had a lot of confidence and faith in DeSunmo, where I think most coaches would not play a guy uh, in his rookie year that much to that extent where he's he's usually guarding like the best perimeter defenders or perimeter players now so um yeah that uh like you said just having those good defensive players to surround some of the weaker pieces i think has has been the secret sauce to the bull success well i mean earlier on in the season lately they've been slipping a little bit because they've been missing some of those players but that's uh, I think that's how they were exceeding expectations early on. Right. And I like that you brought up empowering players because that is another important part of the story of this Bulls team is that, well, there are, especially when absences come in volume, there are things that you can't, that you can't quite overcome, especially when like at, at, at this point when it's Levine and, and Lonzo out at the same time, because they occupy two roles that you can replace, but you can't fully replace. And so you get into those and that's, that's the nature of an 82 game regular season is that there are going to be those stretches of time, but the functional depth of this Bulls team has been much better than I anticipated. And Dasunmu is a fantastic example of that. As we're recording this, 63% true shooting. And to me, as you said, defense is the story. But for a defensive player to be hitting enough threes, you know, he's at 70 attempts overall on the season in 800 minutes. But doing that and then making 60% of his twos, you know, driving hard, getting getting those shots, also making, making, making his mid-rangers, that might tone down a little bit. But to be able to, again, that that OKC duality of defensive player does enough offensively that the other team has to take him seriously. And the other thread there, which I think the Bulls have done a great job handling, and I don't know how you portion the credit between the players individually, Donovan and the coaching staff, and I mean, we don't have to necessarily, is... Nate uses the term like in advantage, like creating an advantage. And one of the elements that those other players have to do is they don't necessarily have to create that many advantages. That's on DeRozan, that's on Zach Levine, and, you know, just generally pushing the ball hard in transition. However, you can, those are kind of like three big ways that the Bulls do it. But what is on the other players is when you have an advantage, when the ball comes to you and that advantage exists, make the most of it. Sometimes that's taking an open three. Sometimes that's driving to the basket and finishing. Sometimes that's making a couple dribbles and a good decision. And I think the Bulls have done a far better job than most of maximizing those opportunities, whether whether they were the best players offensively or other players on the roster. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that speaks to, to the, the management that this team has. Like, uh, they really had a vision of how they wanted to play. And um, this is, again, why they've been overachieving this year is because the roles that they place these guys in uh, just really makes them look like the best version of themselves possible. And the the two biggest examples of that, I think, are Ball and Caruso. Like, those are two guys who, uh, especially like Lonzo in, in New Orleans, like uh, when he's tasked too much with just being the primary creator, like I don't think he's great at generating an advantage. But uh, like you said, they have these um, second side pick and roll guys where they swing the ball, they get the defense uh, shifted already, and they can really take advantage of that. Another, another guy who I think is a, a good example of that is Kobe White. Like, Kobe struggled uh, a lot in his first couple years um, because he was tasked as being kind of like the traditional point guard role and it's not something that he's necessarily great at but he's, he's had a much better couple of months just because he's learned to um, play off the advantages that um, especially DeRozan is creating for him and I, I think he is really good at you know he's, he's one of the fastest guys in the league so when he has that uh, initial advantage already created for him he he knows how to capitalize and he uh, he's he's also has like a lightning quick release so anytime he has some space he can get that shot off so 
Yeah, it's it's just a testament to. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Like you look at a team like the Lakers that's struggling so much, and there was just very little regard given for roster construction in that situation. They just wanted to accrue like the most high end talent possible. And then you look at a team like the Bulls, where um, yeah, every piece was uh, acquired with the uh, thought process of how they they fit with the other pieces, and it just worked out beautifully for the Bulls. I like the juxtaposition with the Lakers, especially because one of the key decisions for both offseasons involved the same human being, and that's Alex Caruso, where Alex Caruso occupied a largely similar role, and correct me if you disagree, with the Lakers and the Bulls. The Lakers didn't necessarily value that. I think they thought his skill set was more was more replaceable. The Bulls saw how that could fit with Levine and DeMar DeRozan in particular, and it's working out far better for the Bulls to have him than for the Lakers to have let him go. And there is a challenge big picture with having too many players that aren't scalable in terms of responsibility, because basically what that means is that the other players typically have to be there, though the Bulls have won some nice games when they've been a little bit shorthanded this year. However, it's also way easier and way more practical to find those players and put them in a place to succeed and then hope that you can find, you know, DeMar DeRozan's don't always become available, but the the Bulls did a great job. They, they paid a lot to get him, not only in terms of salary, but in terms of in terms of trade equity, let's put it that way, to do it. But as you said, they the front office deserves a lot of credit, and especially credit from me because I disagreed with them, that their theory of the case is bearing out. I like that law school reference, yeah. <laughs> the theory of the case is indeed um, bearing out. And I, I mean, I was a DeMar skeptic too, a little bit, uh, probably not to the extent that a lot of people were. But yeah, I mean, I think it just shows great foresight. And, you know, with the Caruso thing, um, I understand why the Lakers might have been okay with letting him go because there are a lot of these defensive specialists that you see um, are very easily replaceable. Like I'm thinking of, a, you know, like a Shaq Harrison type. Um, but the, the the difference what separates Caruso from those guys, I think, first of all, like he's just better. I mean, he's I right. think he's top three on ball defender at his position and the Bulls have used him uh, basically on everybody like he's guarded big guys he's guarded speedy guards and he's done a good job on all those guys and then the other thing is just like the intangibles that he brings I mean it sounds very cliche but um, they, the Bulls just got him back last night against the Cavs and they ended this four game losing streak um, and DeMar DeRozan had this quote after the game that Caruso basically sounds like I think I, I'm gonna mess up the wording but it's something like he sounds like a, a college professor reading out his thesis or something and there have been so many examples Examples of his communication on the court like he's basically Chris is basically the the quarterback of the Bulls defense you could see last night for the first time in a very very long time that their um, rotations on the, the the backside of their defense were way better than they have been and that was the case in the beginning of the season when he went out um, the Bulls are a team that uh, brings help early and they depend on those rotations in order to stop teams and they're falling apart and then you know as soon as he comes back in like they're they're back good again so I think that that really speaks to the value that um yeah maybe it's not captured very well um in regards to you know other defensive specialists he might look the same on paper but there's just so much more stuff that he's doing out there the combination of being a capable individual defender and a capable team defender is actually pretty hard to find in a guard and that's something that makes caruso special that there have been times where he can be a little bit overzealous as a team defender but generally speaking caruso plays with the intensity and has the physical like skills to make up for that you know he, he gets he helps far often than he is burned by that help and I think that is a very good place to be. And as you mentioned, that that defensive versatility is is central because you need you need your best defenders to do a lot of different things when you have a couple guys that you don't want to put in those assignments. And the the story kind of in some ways with DeRozan is it's a reciprocal, but it also ties in with those other limited offensive players defensively. Is that DeRozan is an extremely limited defensive player? He you know can give up can give up drives and he can doesn't always function in the team capacity or he's not the greatest transition defender. But especially in the regular season, if you give him modest things to do, he can do them. He has been a part of successful defenses before. I mean, San Antonio was a decent example of that, and Toronto of course had had some when he was there too and so while he wasn't the reason those teams were great he can be a part of it if you don't need him to do a lot and I think that having Caruso having 
Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr. and in an ideal world, Patrick Williams, and I want to come back to him. That puts him in a situation to succeed. So like the other guys, it's natural to focus on the weaknesses, on the shortcomings, because those matter a lot when it when it comes down to it. But they're correctable, adjustable shortcomings, at least at least in the regular season. Yeah, I think a, the Bulls players do have a lot of flaws, like serious flaws. And I think that's why um, the Bulls were able to get these guys. But like I said before, Donovan is just so good at um, hiding them by playing guys together whose flaws, whose strengths mask the other person's flaws, right? So I am I am kind of curious to see what happens in the playoffs because, you know, teams are preparing a lot more to try to exploit those flaws. But um I don't know. I mean, I think that it's just worked so well in the regular season when the team has been healthy that um, I'm I'm definitely higher on the Bulls like as a playoff team than I think most people are. So yeah, we're just gonna have to wait and see. That's gonna be one of the one of the biggest questions in the playoffs, the NBA playoffs for me. It is, and oh, I'm taking largely a wait and see approach to it because. I often think of the construction of like the the dominant individual players and the you know those undeniable guys and there are definitely a portion of those in the Eastern Conference with Giannis and with Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid and we'll see what what the Heat the Heat are kind of undeniable as a team defense which is a little bit different but I don't know right now and a lot of this will depend on availability and anything else if there is that monolith that behemoth in the conference that gives the Bulls so many problems that they're unsolvable you know like that level of team and the Bucks are all these teams are really good but there's a there's kind of a line many years between the you know like the absolute like those those teams that are truly challenging and you maybe you can't solve it and that's good news for the Bulls I think that the idea that they can do it there will be there will be some challenging matchups and I'm I'm excited to see how it goes because if it if it works out well if I'm wrong then that's great because that means a team is the team is exceeding exceeding expectations and is significantly more dangerous and that's great that's great for the league it's great for everything. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the league is wide open this year and obviously like COVID is a big part of that too. So, um I think like the underdogs have a, a certainly a better chance this year. Like they haven't the Bulls haven't played the Bucks yet. That's going to be the big question. Against the Nets, uh they got totally destroyed on national TV. They did. But but they are 2 and 1. Um so there's some promise there. Um yeah, against they, they did struggle against the Sixers. I think like with Embiid's size in particular, they lost both of the games they've played against them. And then the Heat um I think one of those games you have to totally throw out because the Bulls had nobody. They were like playing their number seven through 12 players. And then the other game was a very closely contested loss. So, yeah, uh, I think the Bulls have shown so far, at least, that, you know, they can they can hang with the teams in the East uh, with the caveat that we haven't seen them against the Bucks. And, you know, they're obviously they've been heavily rumored. I don't know, like how well sourced these rumors are, but been heavily rumored in this uh jeremy grant sweepstakes they have a lot of connections to him i mean zach levine played with him on team usa billy donovan coached him at uh, in oklahoma city um his uncle horace works for the bulls and then uh ak um had some overlap with him in denver so that's that certainly makes sense from a lot of different standpoints and i think that he could definitely help them because yeah power forward with patrick williams out that's kind of like their weakest spot the lowest hanging fruit to improve so yeah may the bulls may not be done here with their roster and uh that would certainly help them compete against these big boys more it's such a fascinating question for this front office of okay you've you've already committed you know significant resources in the vooch trade and in the derozan trade but you still have assets available do you go do you push harder for jeremy grant or for maybe harrison barnes depending on how things go with the kings and the asking prices for those two will be such a big question you know like how, how where where is that because i think barnes would actually be a really good fit with them grant is a better fit defensively because he's more defensively versatile um but barnes could do you know he'd be he'd be interesting too and so how much are those teams asking what are other teams willing to pay for them and a central figure in that that you've that you know well and i'm it, it's such a weird open question is patrick williams patrick williams you know, played a lot as a rookie and was only able to play in five games this year before he went went down and he's out for roughly the rest of the year we don't have an exact timeline we know that their the bulls application for disabled player exception was denied but how do you see patrick williams fitting in and how do you see his potential relative to him being the centerpiece of a trade for an immediate upgrade 
Well, I think anybody that tells you how Patrick Williams is going to develop just has no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> totally like, fair. <laughs> um, last year, his rookie year, he was the youngest player in the league outside of Poku. Um, so obviously, like, he still has so much more development to do. We have no idea. And then, he, yeah, he barely played this year. So can't really take much from that sample. Um, you know, the Bulls saw something in him. They They reached... I don't think many people had him as the number four pick in that draft. So obviously they they really, really like something about him. Um, I think that there might be some endowment effect going on there where they want to prove people right, you know? Like, uh, sure. I, think it would, I think it would take a lot to for them to move off of him because he hasn't really been given a full shot yet to show if, if they were right or not and making this very bold move at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as my personal opinion on him, I don't think he had a, a great rookie year. I don't think it was terrible either. He showed some really nice flashes. He had, um, yeah, I mean, he had some, some crazy plays. He had one against uh, DeAndre Aiden where he just ripped the lob away. That was actually like very similar to the one that Giannis had that went viral in the finals so patrick williams did it first i'll I'll put that out there um but yeah just not the consistency which of course is normal for a player of that age um yeah his rookie rookie year was his age 19 season yeah yeah he was a very very young rookie so we just don't know i'm especially intrigued by the williams thought process because front offices especially for players that they drafted have to balance Wanting to make the best team possible in the present versus trying to make the best team possible moving forward and everything else. And there, so I've said before that there isn't a right or wrong answer to this. It's just that you have to know what's important for you organizationally. And I think that's the case for the Bulls because DeMar DeRozan, this is his age 32 season, Vooch, age 31. And the other guys are younger, Levine, 26, Ball, 24. Their brightest days are soon, maybe a little later, depending on how their skill development goes. The age curve can be complicated sometimes in around 26. But there is one idea, which is, okay, you, you maximize your chances for right now. So that might be Jeremy Grant. So throw throw your chips in. These you know these next two years are probably going to be DeRozan's best two years. He's never played better than he's playing right now. And so you maximize it. But then the other part is, well, if your title, if your title equity is not either less important or you want to be consistently relevant, or you think Patrick Williams could end up being significantly better than Jeremy Grant, you know, like maybe he becomes a top 10 player at his position in a way that Grant probably is not at the moment as good as he is and wings are hard to find and everything else. Then you think about it differently. And the Warriors are dealing with this as well with Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody. And the endowment effect is there too, because they drafted two of those three guys pretty high. And at least one of them, you know, there's the whole Labello Wiseman thing. And so it's, not a definitive it's not a definitive yes or no in the immediate there will it presumably with hindsight we will ascertain which way it went and part of the challenge of that is these intriguing young players how do you how do you square the universe of potential outcomes so the best case scenarios for patrick williams are very high you know he's a physically talented guy he has a lot of defensive potential and especially after the growth of Kawhi leonard and jalen brown you're like oh you know these these tools these physically tool physically toolsy wings that have a little bit of ball skills like we can make them into a dominant enough offensive player but there is also a distinct chance that Williams is never as good as Barnes and as Jeremy Grant are now. And that is a risk premium that matters a lot for the arc of the franchise, even though it's hard to ascertain at any given point in time. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I mean, I'm pretty aggressive on shopping him just because, like you said, um, I don't I don't think DeMar is going to play this well for very much longer, right? I mean, uh, you, you really have to take advantage of this window because if you want to win in the NBA, I mean, it's been pretty well proven that you need a top 10 player. And yes, Patrick Williams could become a top 10 player, but I think the chances of that are pretty low. Um, even, you know, if you... Even like the best rookies in this class, like for them to be a top 10, that's just a very, very high bar to clear. Sure. Um, so... Like we said before, I mean, the league is so wide open this year, especially in the Eastern Conference. I think that it just makes a ton of sense to just go for it now. And the the analogy that I would give is like the George Hill for Kawhi trade. I mean, I definitely don't think that Patrick Williams, he gets compared to Kawhi a lot. I mean, I don't think he's going to ever reach that level. That's like kind of absurd where he's like top top three player. In very, the league. very few p- people do. Yeah. I mean, I still think he could be very, very good, but maybe like a poor man's version of that trade where 
George Hill helped the Spurs that year, you know, but obviously, like, if they could go back, or sorry, he helped the, the Pacers that year, but if they could go back in time, they'd way, way rather have Kawhi, right? And, like, every subsequent year, that trade looked like more and more of a loss until uh, you could pretty definitively say, <laughs> you know, couple years out that yeah Kawhi is by far the better player but I think the Bulls could be at risk of falling victim to that um but you know the Pacers needed to win at that time I think the Bulls need to win at this time so I, I think you could definitely justify it and you just have to live with what happens uh with Patrick Williams in the future the other big consideration that I would advise the Bulls front office on here and I hadn't really thought about this fully until you kind of started started me down this train is the Bulls entire structure is built around these two dynamic creators. And they have a lot of good players. They have a lot of good players that are either, let's say, under contract or we expect to be under contract. Like Technically speaking, Levine is a free agent this year, assuming he resigns. And if he doesn't, then you're screwed anyway. But with DeRozan has another two years, Vooch has one more, and then if they want to retain him, they can. What that means is once DeMar DeRozan ages out of being this guy, it is going to be extremely hard for Chicago to functionally replace him in the pecking order because they aren't, they're too good and they've already traded away some draft picks to have that kind of thing. So it would have to be the rise of an internal player. And you could make the argument, well, duh, that's supposed to be Patrick Williams, but that would be a lot offensively for him to do. And if all of a sudden it becomes Levine as the, not the primary creator, but the kind of one and only really, really good creator on this team, it fundamentally changes their trajectory and kind of the the peak of their arc is one way of putting it. And so if that's the case, if my theory is right, and maybe Kobe White could get there, maybe there's some sort of internal improvement with Lonzo or Caruso that gets them to a different to a different juncture, or Levine just becomes even better, and at that point, you don't need a second guy. But if I were playing the odds, I would say that these next two years are probably your best window for that structure, and you have a lot of these other guys under contract. So assuming you'd rather have two good, have two better chances and then then tail off from there, that would be an argument in favor of going now. Yeah, and I mean, even so, even if the Bulls get improvement from all their young guys and improvement from Levine and whatever, like improvement from Patrick Williams in the future in the next couple of years, let's say like three years from now, all those guys improve. You, you still don't have a way to get a top 10 player, right? Like you said. Agreed. So like, this is it. I mean, they, I don't know what they're waiting for. This is the only time... Um, that they can reasonably count on having one of those guys, top 10 guys, because, you know, he's already there. So this is the time where I think you, as as a just general franchise building mode, like you, you really have to be aggressive when you get these opportunities. Are there any other kind of bull stories that as somebody who follows the team more closely that you think are worth mm-hmm. other people keeping an eye on? It, it sucks that they have a couple of important guys out with injuries right now, but that does provide opportunities for other players. And if, if the Bulls, this is a mark of their new place in life, is that now they're folk, now April matters more than January, February, and March because they're going to be there in April at bare minimum. Yeah, we just learned today that uh, Lonzo Ball has a meniscus tear, so that's going to be a big issue. I mean, it, it's a huge bummer because they just got Caruso back, and I think that the combination of Caruso and Ball is way way better than just one of those guys uh, just because they like completely shut down one side of the court basically when they're playing together Uh, it's pretty amazing to watch um but i guess the the biggest storyline in chicago that's not maybe as well known nationally is just how good io has been he's been great Um, i saw espn did like a rookie power rankings and io's never been on there um which i i find kind of absurd but he he finally got in there at number 10 uh in their most recent version i think he was the number 38 pick in the draft so i mean he's clearly outperformed his um draft slot already um yeah, and a lot of the stuff that people said was were not was not going to translate from his days at Illinois, where he was this big time star, uh, scored a lot of points, he took like all the clutch shots, and he was known for making them. Um, the thought was that he was going to have to um, reduce his role and just become kind of like a specialist. But he he actually has had some pretty good creation juice in the league. Better uh, than I thought he'd have, but I hadn't watched film, so yeah. I hadn't watched a lot of him either at Illinois. I'm just going off what uh, draft people said and what I read about him. 
uh, the Bulls had him playing point guard a lot last night, which was pretty interesting. So yeah, he's creating for other players. He's doing a good job. And then I spoke about his defense uh, previously, but yeah, just guarding the best players in the league and doing a pretty good job. I mean, especially for a rookie, that's like kind of crazy. I think his off ball defense, he still gets a little bit lost sometimes, but again, like totally normal for a rookie. Um, yeah, but I think that, you know, anytime you draft a player in the second round, it's kind of a crapshoot if they even stick in the league for a couple of years. I think with Io, like he's most, he's definitely an NBA player. Um, I think he's like very solidly on the path to being, you know, a third guard off the bench right now with upside to be even better than that. So he's been a lot of fun to watch and just like a very unexpected surprise. For sure. And getting capable contributions from players that you that were second round picks or two ways or undrafted or anything like that makes such a huge difference in terms of I brought up the term functional depth before like the because no matter what a team is going to have some sort of injury or availability challenges especially this year and the move beyond just like gap filler like he is a player for this team and I've, I've been so thrilled to see it with him I pulled the stat because I had you know I had thought been thinking about it but you mentioned it Bulls defense when Caruso and Ball are both on the floor. 105.4 cleaning the glass defensive ratings that filters out garbage time. And that is with negative opponent shooting luck. Teams are shooting thirty about 37% on threes. That's better than you would expect. So yeah, float a range and there's some other potential fluky things. And they're forcing a ton of turnovers. You can attribute a lot of that to those two gentlemen, though other guys deserve credit too. And it's not only that for me, I think that's an important part of it. And I'm happy you brought it up. But because having Lonzo out means that there will be more minutes where neither Lonzo Ball nor Alex Crusoe is on the floor. And the Bulls have comparatively struggled in those minutes because they don't have as many defense. They don't have as much defensive personnel now. Yeah. The other guy in that um, situation is Javante Green too. I don't, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for how good he is defensively. So I think when the Bulls have two of those three guys on the floor, they're really good. When they have one of those three, they're okay. And then when they have none, which has been the case for a lot of this period where uh, their defense has been declining, uh, that's when they they just stink. I mean, they can't stop anybody. They depend yeah. so, so heavily on these like um, quick rotations and just getting in the passing lanes and getting steals. So when they don't have that, um, yeah, teams just kind of pick them apart. With just Ball and Caruso off the floor, 120 defensive rating. With Ball, Caruso, and Javante Green off the floor, 125 defensive rating. Yeah, I hadn't looked at the numbers, but I mean, just from eye test, I figured that was probably the case. Yeah, it's 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 pretty striking. We have a little bit of time left. I wanted to, first of all, of course, congratulate you on on the new gig at the Sporting News. I'm so thrilled. I've Thank been, you. You know, been a fan of your work for a while, and you're doing something. I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not doing as much writing at the present moment, and it's a it's a serious idea and. And more, more, more the idea and the execution, because you do good work with video, of the, the way you're phrasing it is hidden gems. And so it's players that are, well, I'll, actually, I'll let you define how you, for how you define a hidden gem. Sure. I mean, I think that a lot of the coverage in the league is just a, among like the big stars, like the top 25 guys, let's say. And then um, the major markets like L.A., Chicago, New York, what have you. So I, I just think that's a shame because the league is so interesting and so varied. And there's so many good stories out there. So many players that don't get on national TV where I know you watch a ton of League Pass games. And you see these guys and you're like, wow, these guys are so fun to watch. I just wish that there was more attention brought to some of these players. Um, so that was kind of the idea behind this column, Hidden Gems. I'm going to write it. Uh, it's going to come out every Tuesday uh, at Sporting News. Um, the two guys that I've had so far, Jakob Pertl, which you know nobody outside of San Antonio really knows much about him, but he's awesome. I mean, he's probably, I would th- I would say he's probably the best rim protector behind Rudy Gobert. Um, definitely <laughs> flawed offensively. Like It's kind of an adventure when he gets to the free throw line, but just uh, like people need to know who Jakob Pertl is. And then uh, the most recent guy I had was Jared Vanderbilt who's more of a role player but yeah I mean like you see his highlights and they're just awesome Um, and even just like watching full games of him he really pops on the screen Um, the next one I'm going to do is Desmond Bain who is a little bit well more more well known but still I feel like the casual NBA fans have have heard of Bain because he has a cool last name (laughs) (laughs) but they might not really know all that all that uh, his game entails so I just want to like increase the scope of storytelling in the league. I try to make these interesting, you know, I try to have some colorful writing in there. Um, yeah, and I'm just so sick of, you know, like 
reading the same Ben Simmons story or reading the same Kyrie Irving story. Like I, I just, I just want us to um, just, just focus on uh, there. You know, there's like 450 players in the league. There's way more this year, and and let's let's talk about the whole league. I think I think I think people don't give enough credit to the fans that the fans nowadays are so much smarter and. Um, yeah, you can you can really challenge them to learn more about the league, and I think that they will they will uh, enjoy that, and that's been the case so far with the first two stories I've done. For sure, and I mean that's been a big part of what I have intended to do, and you do far you, your work is far more accessible because you do good stuff with video, which I'm which I wish I was better at, and I get I feel old now, so maybe I don't, but I, I certainly could be better at it, but. The way the way that I like a different way of phrasing phrasing, which is, is that part of the beauty of basketball and part of I mean, I didn't grow up watching the sport. I grew up with a lot of other sports. But part of what makes it so wonderful is that both from a star perspective, but also from a role player complimentary guy perspective, there are a lot of different ways to succeed and there are a lot of different ways to fail. And some of the hidden gems around the league do a particularly good job of either covering up the shortcomings of somebody else or making something viable. And I think Vanderbilt is an amazing example of that, of like Carl Anthony Towns, sort of like we talked about with DeRozan. I don't think that he is dramatically better defensively this year, but the Wolves have been better defensively. And part of that is they put better things around him and they're able to do some of the things on that end. Also, they're forcing an ungodly amount of turnovers, which Vanderbilt is an important part of. And so they're making, they're getting something that works in a different way than it did before. And Vanderbilt is an essential part of that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I got to mention Ben Taylor at some point. In this For sure. he, had, he had a great video. I think it was actually his video coordinator, Mike De La Rosa, that did the, the Wolves defense one. But also we were talking about um, Caruso and Ball, their defensive combination. Ben Taylor has a great video on that. So if I'm, I'm sure like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with this work. But if you're not, then yeah, go go watch those videos. They're great. Absolutely. And going back to Pirtle briefly, it was it reached. I'm hoping it's Zenith during the conference finals. But there was this whole Twitter referendum, and I don't think Twitter is real life. I don't think any of that type of stuff on the rim protecting center and like, oh, Rudy Gobert is not the defensive player of the year because the Clippers were able to. Or sorry, that wasn't the conference finals. That was the second round. Um, Here's the thing. Very few defenses are going to work as a one-man band in the playoffs. That's just not the way things are going to happen. And there is so much that a player like Pirtle, like Gobert can do to help a team. And not saying the Spurs need to do this. They have guys like DeJounte Murray to basically give them to give them a foundation. An example that I used to use because they're the team I'm close to geographically was Andrew Bogut used to clean up a lot of messes for the Warriors. And eventually they had fewer messes to clean up because they got better perimeter defenders and the guys they had improved internally. But there is so much that a player like that can do to help. And incidentally, like Nate and I were riffing recently, uh, we were doing the South Southeast Division pod. And I, and I was saying, if San Antonio is actually thinking about moving Yaka Pirtle, like there was the, those murmurs about Pirtle potentially going to the Raptors, Charlotte should be all over that. Because, yeah, Pirtle might be some limitations in the playoffs and everything else like that, but he would do so much to just clean up their messes and put a floor on their defense. Yeah, I love that idea. I haven't heard any any uh, rumors about him going there, but yeah, I heard the Raptor stuff. I mean, I think that, you know, the people that are watching a lot of the league, a ton of the league, like people that work in the league, I think they recognize his value. But yeah, to the casual fan that maybe watches, you know, one or two games a week, like they probably have never seen Pirtle, <laughs> right? So um, yeah, I think there's this whole slew of guys like basketball is such a beautiful game. And um, it's not just about getting buckets, you know, so uh, just pointing out things that you can appreciate. I think that's what really excites me when I write. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the the genesis of this column, I guess, is um, finding the portals throughout the league that, you know, once you see what they do, once somebody points it out, it's very easily recognizable. And then you get to enjoy that like every single time you watch that player. For sure. And it also makes every team look and feel different, which I truly love. And so there are times, there are some teams that don't have those guys and are less watchable or, or that are watchable for different reasons. But it 
is it is really fun and I appreciate all of the teams that do it differently. I mean, Cleveland has been a wonderful example of that this year and they're, you know, they it's not the switchy do everything, but they're doing a great job protecting the rim, they're not fouling and but having side it also it helps if you have Evan Mobley, Jared Allen and everything else. Uh what what I wanted to end on, I often do these especially for people who who keep an eye on the whole league is we're at a weird part of the year, you know, trade deadlines a couple weeks away, still having protocol absences and unfortunately injuries we talked about Lonzo and everything else. With the Bulls, but also outside of that, what are you looking at teams, players over the next few weeks? Hmm. What am I looking at? I guess like I've been focusing lately on the Lakers just because of this whole Westbrook stuff um, and just figuring out. I, I actually, I'll, I would like your opinion on this, Danny. Is like I, I kind of feel like um, we probably don't have quite enough time for this, but I, I feel like Westbrook. Obviously, he's had like not a great season, right? But. Um, I felt like Vogel was really being scapegoated for a lot of the Lakers' problems, and now Westbrook is getting scapegoated. Like, yeah, they paid him a lot of money to um, be a big part of winning there, but, I mean, the reason why they stink is, like, just the other guys, right? Like, the bottom half of their roster is just terrible. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that he is getting an appropriate amount of blame, or do you think that, I mean, like, the? Uh, I, I, I guess my point is, like, if they just completely bench him, like, the problems aren't going away, right? The problems aren't going away, and I, I, I would throw it in a couple of different directions. So part of it is a version of bad luck where I mean, I thought the Lakers, you know, just as, you know, going back in time, I thought they did a reasonably good job for minimum guys, though minimum players, it's very rare to do extremely well. Like there's only so far you can go. You're going to get more Carmelo Anthony's guys who can do one or two things well, but can't do everything well. But, you know, Baysmore and I loved Malik Monk and he's had some really nice stretches so far this year. But the overall thesis I think is pretty sound and that's they didn't have enough overall quality. And I put a lot of that on the feet of Rob Polinka because we brought up Caruso before, but you could also, of course, tie this to Contavious Caldwell Pope and some of the other moves that they made, where I thought that the Lakers' general concept after they won the championship was pretty straightforward, which is LeBron and Anthony Davis, especially when he's playing the five, you build it around their pick and roll. And not only that, it's not just two offense-only players. Those guys can be a, uh, can be important parts, especially AD. I thought he was the best defensive player in the 2020 playoffs. You can do a lot there. And so what you need around those players are ideally guys that can shoot enough the teams guard them so that they can't clog the lane and mess up those actions, and players who can at least credibly defend so Davis doesn't have to clean up as many messes and everything else. That was what I thought. I thought it's like, this is a vindication, and and they had Caruso, and they had KCP, and Danny Green, and all these other guys, and it felt to me with the Montrezl Harrell signing and the Westbrook trade and everything else that Rob Polinka just immediately moved away from almost all of that. And it, you could have enough talent. Those guys are good enough that it could work. But Davis has had a down year. And of course, he's been unavailable now for a while. So that part of it, I do think, I do think to me, the person who has done the most wrong here is Rob Polinka, not Frank Vogel, not Russell Westbrook. However, the part of the Russell Westbrook story that for years now, years and years and years now, that has gone under under noticed by many not by everyone but by many are his defensive limitations and i was interested that dave McMenamin's piece which came out after the loss to the pacers and vogel didn't play westbrook during the last four minutes talked about how he wasn't executing the scouting report against Kara silver and Westbrook freelances a lot. He freelances in situations where it makes no sense. He goes for, you know, his defensive rebounding is actually valuable because he can push the ball in transition and everything else. But when he skips out on his own assignment, and so there is no defensive rebound because the ball goes through the basket, it becomes a problem. And so I, I don't think that Russell Westbrook is the reason why the Lakers were last year they were second in defense and this year they're 21st that you do not lay all of that on the feet of one of one man especially not russell westbrook but his contributions to their fragility on that end i think are important i think all that's fair i think the other big thing about the the whole polinka stuff is and maybe this isn't fair but because covid has been so unpredictable but i think the teams that have done really well this year have been the ones that have been deep like sure. i think that's why the grizzlies are such a surprise story because i mean for years now they've just had like a million solid rotation players right and there have been teams like this in regular seasons in the past like i, I think it back to um uh those hawks teams uh of the mid 2010s and then um brad stevens celtics teams where 
they don't have a lot of top end talent, but they're just so, so deep that they rack up regular season win- wins. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like you kind of had to expect that roster depth was going to be at a premium this year, and the Lakers just zagged when, um, I mean, I thought that was kind of obvious. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that's another reason why, you know, Polinka, Polinka really deserves a ton of blame here, basically. <laughs> Well, and there's this idea. It so I, I was consulting with Bill Orem because I do that CBA stuff for the Athletic. About he was basically he was trying to figure out how to phrase some stuff when the, the I think it was when Caruso played the Lakers the first time and the decision that the Lakers made. And it was you know by I mean I, I, we're talking about like money and it's like oh well they chose you know you could phrase it in a bunch of different ways. It's like they ch- you could say they chose saving money over keeping Alex Caruso because they had full bird rights and they could have done it. You could also argue that they chose Kendrick Nunn over Alex Caruso because he got paid $5 million. That's not that much less than Caruso. And, you know, you'd have to pay the luxury tax on the difference and all that type of stuff. Or THT, you could say in certain arguments. But the point that I tried to make, and it was harder to, I, I can't remember how much Bill included in the piece, was in many ways the real choice they made was Russell Westbrook. Because if the Lakers had a hard line in terms of how much they're willing to spend, and if, you know, I criticize owners all the time for having a hard line and having it being too low. And you have LeBron James, you have one of the best players on the planet, and he's, you know, you don't know how many years. We talked about how DeRozan might not have many years left. LeBron is a cyborg sent from the future to run basketball, but he also <laughs> still might not have that much time left as this level of player. And so you, so, but let's say, let's say you have to take that as a given. Okay, that you have this hard line. Palenka did an extremely poor job to me managing that because Russell West, you know, so if you have that money to spend, you could, you know, you could do that in KCP or Harrell or and Harrell, and maybe you can do something different with the mid-level. You could, could keep Alex Crusoe. You could get guys, you don't have to use more than half of your roster spots on minimum players who are always going to have limitations. And that is the other part of putting all the eggs in one basket. I talked a lot about how you can't, it's hard to make a follow-up trade. You know, like you can't, once you get Russell Westbrook, unless he maximizes his value, you're kind of in, you're a Russell Westbrook team now. And that is a real challenge. He has this huge player option for next year. So it's all of those things at the same time that if they had, if they said, okay, 18 million above the tax with the, with the payment and everything like that, or maybe it's 20 million, whatever it is, we're not going over that. Assuming they told, assuming Genie Bus and the buses told Palenka that before the start of the offseason, if they didn't, that's malpractice. Then this was a very, it was a very poor job building within that constraint. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, I think everybody's attention is just on the Lakers. Like I, I know I was speaking previously about how I'm trying to focus on the smaller market teams, but it's just. Uh, but they're a fascinating situations. I mean, <laughs> to see to see a team. I, I mean, that's to me is the weirdest part of the Lakers story. Now is that in the early stretch of the season, it was like the Lakers are struggling. What's wrong? And and my basic take was their best players aren't playing that well. Like LeBron struggled to start the year. He also, I believe, if memory serves, missed some time. Anthony Davis was having one of the worst years of his career. And we're like, okay, if those guys start playing better, this is going to be better. LeBron has been roughly awesome for the last month plus, and they're still not beating teams. And not, and so that is, so it's kind of like the overall story is similar, but it's a more concerning part of the story that now, now there are fewer levers to pull. And it's like, what are you going to do there? And because LeBron is like, ha- it, it feels differently, feels different to have one of the best players in the league playing well and having his team still lose. Like that is a fundamentally different thing than I think we're used to, especially with LeBron, who one of the most amazing parts of his trajectory is raising the floor of flawed teams. Yeah, I think you're uh, totally spot on there. So. I mean, it's been a while, but he had to do that for long portions uh, for, in the early portion of his career for a lot of teams. Yeah, and you know he's obviously adapting his game a lot too. You know, playing more more at the five now, being pretty successful with that, and it's still not enough to really get the Lakers over the hump. So, yeah. I think everybody's just keeping an eye on the Lakers these days. And who knows? Maybe we're. I, I mean, I hope to be wrong with this, but maybe we're obsessing about them now because we're not going to be thinking about them as much in March and April. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I know it's, it's interesting that like a lot of these models too were really really low on the Lakers, and I think. Um, 
people, myself included, were skeptical on why the models hated them so much. It uh, turns out that, um, yeah, at least on that it, one, they were right. They were it might be, it might be results instead of process. It's kind of hard. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have an eye into some of those black boxes, but yeah, I mean, it looks like, it looks like they're going to be closer to the pin than I was. I picked their over on the over under and at least 538's model was there. I'll mention one other thing in terms of teams that I'm watching. Now that Miami's close to hole, I'm going to be very interested in watching them because they're the other kind of elephant in the room for the Eastern Conference conversation because I've still been skeptical of their half court offense, but they can be really dangerous. So I'm excited to see that bit close to full strength. Yeah, that top of the East race is wide, wide open. I mean, there's very little more. I haven't checked the standings super recently, but there's only a couple games separating like all of those teams. So anybody can come out. Anyone can come out and I'm sure seeding is going to matter a lot and I have no idea how just yet. Yeah, if you can avoid playing uh, Milwaukee and Brooklyn, I mean, that's a huge win, right? So there's probably going to be a little bit of strategic uh, wins and losses towards the end of the year. For sure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Danny. It's always a pleasure. Thanks again to Stefan No for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Sporting News, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Steph No, S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. Love having him on, and we've known each other for years, and I believe this is the first time he's ever done Real GM Radio, which is my fault, not his, of course, and really enjoyed the conversation and getting a sense of what's working for the Chicago Bulls. Apologies again for the delay for this episode. It was a publishing thing as Real GM Radio transitioned to CLNS, which I'm super duper excited about, but that's why things got pushed around a little bit. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can leave a rating, leave a review, in the podcast player of choosing makes a huge difference helps other people find the show word of mouth is also there but the biggest thing is subscribing downloading every episode because that helps our numbers that helps advertisers and everything else so really do appreciate that you can also check out my other work dunked on and dunked on prime we just did the mock trade deadline i was gonna say mock off season that's a different time really fun with nate and kevin pelton and dan feldman and i believe the first part of that is public but then the rest is for prime subscribers we're also doing a sale right now you can also check out my written work at The Athletic, have a couple of things coming out in the very near future, including a trade deadline big board, which is a collaborative piece with Seth Partnow and Sam Vecini, and then another piece of my own on the trade deadline. And I did a collaborative piece with Kelly Eco on the Rockets specifically. So you have all that. And then the NBA strategy stream, newly renamed, but same awesome content. Nate and I calling a live game. That is every Monday, and we'll be doing Wizards Heat this coming Monday, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, if you want to join us for that. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. Replying, I try. I'm not, that is not the promise, but I read everything. It's something I do every day. I have a habit of doing that. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. 